Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Death of Death podcast, where we proclaim Christ's victory over sin, death, and everything else. I'm your host, Nick Stewart. How are you doing today, gorgeous? Just better looking every single day. Every day. Uh, this episode might rub some people the wrong way. And uh, I know I say that a lot, but uh, I mean it this time. <laughs> uh, you've probably already seen the title of the episode. I'm sure just the mention of the word cessationism probably conjures up images of uh, John MacArthur and like the strange fire conference, like putting witches to death and stuff. That's probably what comes to your mind. Uh, I know there was a lot of controversy over that at the time. Well, this is a doctrine that actually means a lot to me because I found it at a time when I really needed answers to uh, a lot of the things that it addresses. So I hope any continuationist friends who may be listening can understand that I am not John MacArthur and I want the best for you, sugar bear. That's really what I want. Uh, I haven't thought much about uh, cessationism since about 2014. That's probably the last time I was really looking into this stuff, but uh, when it came up last week on uh, last week's episode related to a completely different topic, I thought, you know, I should do an episode on cessationism. Uh, it was really like getting reacquainted with an old friend. So uh, since I already spoiled it, that's what it is. We're talking about cessationism today. Uh, cessationism is the doctrine that the miraculous gifts or the sign gifts uh, ceased at the end of the apostolic age. Uh, the other side of the, the debate says that the, the gifts continued on even up to this day and, and they are referred to as continuationists. So you've got cessationists, uh, continuationists. Uh, one says the gifts ceased. One says they continued. I think uh, this is a really bad episode for my speech impediment where I can't uh, properly say any word that ends with an STS. So get ready for that. Now, uh, now for some of you, I've probably already raised more questions than I've answered. Like, what are the miraculous gifts? What is the apostolic age? There's a lot we need to get into. So... Uh, let's start with what are the miraculous gifts? Um, the miraculous gifts are things like tongues, prophecy, and healing. Uh, and there's a distinction between those and all spiritual gifts, which could be everything from like pastoring to playing music. I mean, lots of things qualify as a spiritual gift. And the, mir uh, the miraculous gifts, which were things that were uh, very out of the norm, you know, th those were things that were uncommon. Um, tongues was a phenomenon in the apostolic age where someone would be speaking and a spectator could hear the words in their native tongue. Uh, it was always a known dialect. If you look at Acts 2, you'll notice that everyone was hearing the words of the apostles in a language they understood. You know, multiple people were hearing the same message in multiple dialects. No one was hearing uh, weird gibberish like we see today so you know uh perfectly into our next point what we see today uh masquerading as the gift of tongues uh, is really nothing like what the bible talks about first of all uh leaving aside for the moment that the gift has ceased which we're going to get to later but uh the bible still says there should be a translator present to explain what is being said in the tongue because god is not the author of confusion uh, he doesn't intend for any 
arcane messages to be spoken to a few people and not his entire flock. I've never once seen a translator present while tongues are being spoken. And yes, I've been around a lot of people speaking tongues and I'm, I'm using the phrase very loosely. <laughs> if you uh, go on YouTube and, and look up like Pentecostal Christians or charismatic um, Christians, uh, by the way, if you don't know like what the uh, Pentecostalism is a denomination of, I guess, Protestantism loosely, and uh, charismatic is kind of like the attribute of uh, Pentecostalism. I didn't have this in my notes, so I'm going completely off the dome right now. Pretty sure charisma is the gift word for, or the Greek word for the spiritual gifts. Um, please don't quote me on that. I didn't intend to actually say that. Um, <laughs> so uh, if that's true, then yeah, charismatic are you know a movement of people who believe that the gifts are still active today and. Just because someone's continuationist doesn't mean that they're going to be like speaking gibberish and like flopping around on the floor, but charismatic kind of does have that connotation to it, uh, broadly speaking. So um, these are not perfectly overlapping terms by any stretch of the imagination, and, and it would probably really take uh, kind of a dive into like modern church history to really like accurately uh, define Pentecostalism, charismatic continuationist all, all these things and kind of see where they differ but if you go on youtube and you look up you know um, charismatic people speaking in tongues uh, you can compare it to other videos of supposedly demon possessed people speaking in tongues and you're going to hear very similar things you know i would venture to say indiscernible differences um you know, ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, ting, tang, walla, walla, bing, bang. Uh, <laughs> you know, the witch doctor song. Um, sorry, the uh, the spirit took me there for a moment. It, uh, it happens sometimes. Nothing to be alarmed about. Uh, I'm actually going to play you a clip of someone who is supposedly demon-possessed. Uh, this was actually filmed at an exorcism. Um, but it's not, you know, super scary, so don't, you know, skip over it. It's not... It's not like the movie The Exorcist, um, but listen closely here and and see if this is familiar to you. All right, now I'm going to play a clip from a Pentecostal Christian speaking in tongues. Did you hear the similarities? Like, it's not surprising that there's similarities because it's actually the same girl. It's uh, just a different part of the same exact video. Uh, zing, I gotcha. You're going to need to be on your toes today. Got a lot planned for you. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, you could, you could do what I joked about doing. You could look up, you know, African voodoo cults and you'll hear basically the same noises and gibberish being made while they speak in tongues. 
uh, it's nonsense. It's a, it's a bunch of clicks and really demonic sounding gibberish. Like those are the kind of things I was hearing in the church when I was a kid. And uh, before you condemn my parents, you should know that they had no involvement in that church at all. That was, that was all my bad idea in life. Um, but, you know, it was pretty ironic to hear uh, that kind of stuff coming from people who thought I worshipped Satan because I wore a lot of black. Um, I didn't wear black because I worshipped Satan. I wore black because I was awesome as a kid. And I, I actually random story i actually started wearing all black when i was like five or six years old because i was obsessed with jurassic park and jeff goldblum's character uh, ian malcolm wore all black and by the time i was nine i was listening to a lot of like afi and bleeding through so my black clothes already fit right in and i just kept on doing it uh but anyways you're not my therapist Dottie is. Dottie's my therapist. She's uh she's actually been going to night school to get her degree in psychology and I'm really proud of her. I think we all are here at the Death of Death family. Um, she's not getting very good grades, though, because uh, she's a little behind on her work here, isn't she? She's got a lot of paperwork to catch up on, doesn't she, Dottie? <sighs> One girl I used to go to church with, and I love her. There's no animosity here, but uh, she told me once that she received the gift of tongues one night while uh, she was really doubting her salvation and pleading with God to give her a sign. And that night he blessed her with the gift of tongues. These are her words. Uh, it's a very touching story if you accept the modern gibberish speaking version of tongues today. But if you don't, if you have uh, serious biblical reasons not to believe in that kind of thing, well, then the implications of it are a little worrisome. Um, as a Satanist, I actually tend to play the, the devil's advocate quite a bit. And uh, when I was having that conversation, I, I asked her, how do you know the enemy didn't come to you at your darkest hour while you were doubting your salvation and convince you of something that was untrue and unbiblical? Food for thought. So uh, I was actually going to tell another story uh, that another friend of mine from the same church um, told me once and I thought you know what why don't I just have her send in some audio and tell the story herself uh, so she sent me in about a five minute clip of her telling the story um, so we're just going to listen to it now here is my friend Sherry Walker telling a pretty creepy story about where some of this charismatic stuff can lead to so being a worship leader um, I would always show up early before people showed up and I usually was one of the last people to leave and so it was after a service I thought I was by myself in the sanctuary um, I was turning off the amps and the soundboard and I really couldn't see out into the sanctuary so I didn't realize there were people there I, I suddenly heard just like some weird hissing sounds and like some yelling some screaming some like weird voices anyway I was throw I was like I didn't even realize there was anybody in here so it obviously sent a chill down my spine because I'm like who is in here and why are they making these weird sounds and then I recognized another one of the voices praying over this woman and also just like very like passionate and speaking and quote-unquote tongues 
And so I didn't understand what was happening. I honestly didn't even understand what they were saying. Because, <laughs> you know, I didn't have the gift of interpretation in that moment, apparently. But anyway, I I was kind of thrown off. A pastor was in there and saw that I saw and probably could tell from my face. I'm a little bit like, what the heck is happening? I think he could see in my face that I was a little confused and very, very highly concerned. And so they came over to me and started telling me how, you know, a lot of believers just aren't mature enough to understand these spiritual things and basically telling me that I'm immature in my faith to not understand what was happening and what was happening was and he starts to explain to me that there is a household in our church that has a demonic spirit and that the member who was uh channeling this demonic spirit was helping the other member who was praying over this member extinguish this demonic spirit from this household by the way the members of this household weren't even there basically is like the demonic spirit that's in this house is teleporting into this member and this member is channeling this demonic spirit so then they can pray out the demonic spirit that is in this home yeah i know sounds like some sci-fi voodoo stuff but anyway that was the explanation and I think he could still tell that my face was like where am I and what is this and so he was like but you know a lot of people don't understand this because they're just not spiritually mature enough to understand this so basically what he was telling me the problem isn't what's going on here the problem is you because you're you're not at that level But anyway, it was really sad because they were kind of targeting this family that was a single parent home with one child and basically just saying that this parent was bringing in this demonic spirit into their household. And so they needed to pray the demon out of that house. And and that was the method in which the Lord decided to use these two members to extinguish this demonic spirit. So yeah, that's the story. I mean, that's one of many stories of just some heretical crazy things that were happening. Question your leaders, man, because that that kind of stuff is just so detrimental. And I know like people might think like, well, what was the benefit of that for them? But I saw how they used this type of fear in people of the unknown and the supernatural to try to control the people that they were leading and discipling and that to me it was just all about power control and using people's fear to really drive people to do some crazy nutty things and like I said one of the members of this uh, that participated in this she realized that reading scripture that this is not scripture I think it's good warning sign. The story should be told as a warning to people when you go into churches and the leadership is doing weird stuff. You can call that stuff out because you got the Bible too. And as long as you're reading it and you're staying in the word and you're doing it to get closer to God and to get to know God and for his glory, he's going to expose this stuff and let you know, hey, this ain't normal. This not for me. But anyway yikes yikes 
Like, these were the people who told me I was going to hell for listening to the germs and minor threat, you know? Uh, In case you missed that, like, in case that went over your head, they were letting a demon possess a girl so that they could cast it out of her. (laughs) Does that seem biblical to you? Does that seem cool? Um, That may seem super unrelated to what we're talking about today, uh, but it's not. Their, uh, their continuationist view of the sign gifts eventually led them to do you know crazy stuff like this, completely unbiblical, downright demonic. Um, you know, being a Satanist, I would have been so stoked to know that they were doing this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I, I wish they hadn't been such radical legalists to me. I wish, you know, we could have done some of this stuff together and I, I would have had a lot more fun at that church. It's just uh, downright sad to hear what was going on behind my back. So, uh, you know, by now I've probably colored my view of tongues a little bit too much with my own personal experience, and I don't think my assessment is unfair, though. Uh, By the way, if anyone doesn't know I'm joking about being a Satanist, then um, you're definitely in the wrong place. If if you're not catching that, you are going to miss a lot of things that I throw at you in this episode. (laughs) Like, you don't have a prayer of keeping up with me this episode if if you're not picking up what I'm laying down by now. Um... So, you know, there's no biblical reason uh, for tongues now, and it's uh, incredibly similar to the tongues of cults, which all adds up to a a don't buy in my book, you know, don't buy, sell all your stocks and tongues, it's headed for a big bust, Um, the market is crashing. Uh, We're going to talk more about, you know, why it's unbiblical to be doing that today, but I think just kind of stepping out of that, just even from a logical point of view, it just... Wouldn't even the similarity between that and the culty voodoo tongues like be enough to kind of cause you to look askance <laughs> at it? Um, healing is another sign gift that we see in the Bible, and uh, this was when an individual had the specific gift of healing. So if someone needed healing, you would take them to this specific person in the church, and God would use them to heal. Uh, but this was to authenticate the claims of the apostles. So don't ever lose track of that. This, this was to bring credibility to the gospel that they were sharing. So does this mean that people aren't healed anymore? Well, yeah, no, of course not. <laughs> people are healed all, all the time of all sorts of things, but healing is not a category of gifting that specific people are endowed with today. You know, we pray for healing, and sometimes people are healed, and sometimes they aren't, you know? It's, uh, it's hard to ignore her Trevor's story at this point. You know, I know he's recently been diagnosed with cancer again, but the first time he had it, uh, it went away almost without explanation. And God definitely healed him, and uh, he can do it again. So people are obviously healed, but that doesn't mean that people are gifted with healing in order to authenticate the message of God. Uh, the message from God is in the Bible, and it's there whether people accept it or not, and whether people are healed or not. Uh, the message has has already been authenticated, you know, but before we had a Bible, God used gifts and signs to give credibility to the claims of his messengers. That's probably where some of the confusion comes in. You know, people think that uh, healing was for the sake of healing. It was, in a sense, but, you know, I mean, obviously healing people's good, but there was a, a greater purpose to it than just healing, and that purpose has been achieved. People are still healed today, but it's not for the same purpose of authenticating a direct messenger from God. You know, the Bible is God's word, and we all have it now. 
all of the direct messengers, you know, the apostles are dead now. <laughs> um, so then moving on to prophecy, given what I just said about healing being a sign of God's message and not an end in and of itself, you probably already know where I'm going with this. <laughs> God doesn't have a new word for us. You know, his word is complete in the Bible. Prophets were people who, who spoke the word of God. So, you know, the, the idea that someone could still be speaking the word of God today outside of the Bible is, uh, it doesn't really gel with the actual teaching of the Bible, does it? Um, you want another story from that crazy church, don't you? I can see it on your face. You want that story so bad. Well, in, uh, in my old church, there was, um, there were people who claimed to be prophets or prophetesses, speech impediment coming in hot. They had a great track record of getting absolutely nothing right. Uh, one time my friend's mom was on her deathbed and a prophet from our church told her that her mom would live and she died the next morning. So yeah, not all these stories are funny. Uh, it was terrible. It was child abuse. Uh, I know we were having fun a moment ago, but I don't want to lose track of the fact that these are biblical atrocities. Uh, they also made up a story of adultery just to discredit a pastor they didn't like, uh, and they claimed it was a word from God. And when the evidence proved otherwise, they backpedaled and said that it was an adultery of the heart, uh, you know, a type of idolatry, perhaps. Read Deuteronomy 18 and, and what it has to say about prophets, and you'll see that if a prophet ever gets something wrong, uh, then at the very least they should shut up forever. And there's also the possibility of stoning, and I'm not you know totally against bringing that back for the record. So we've talked about the gifts and like what they actually are. We're not talking about all gifts, just the miraculous gifts or the sign gifts. Um, I already said that these gifts ceased at the end of the apostolic age. So why don't we talk about that? What, when was that? Um, that's hard to define, but uh, this far into history, it, you know, it's pretty easy. Uh, no matter how you really cut the pie, it's definitely by the end of the first century. Um, whenever the apostles died out, these gifts definitely went away as well because we already had the Bible. But there's actually reason to believe that they went away before the apostles died out, and we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, first, let's be clear about why the gifts don't outlive the apostles. I've kind of already said this, but it bears repeating. The gifts were there to authenticate the message of the apostles. Uh, apostle is basically a word for messenger. Uh, God typically does miracles and gives gifts to his messengers in order to prove that they're really sent from him. So these things naturally go away once we have the message of the apostles boiled down to the contents of a book. Uh, the Red Sea did not continue to part uh, after Israel crossed it. You know, there was a purpose to that gift and that sign. The plagues did not continue after Israel left Egypt. Uh, those were signs that had a purpose you know, for, for God's messenger. If you asked me for, you know, a chapter and a verse on that one, um, you know, Paul does say that tongues and prophecies will cease in 1 Corinthians 13. He, he doesn't really give a hard timeline on it, though. Uh, but here's something we know. Um, I mentioned this in the last episode. As, uh, as Paul's letters progress throughout his life, he gets farther and farther away from the sign gifts. Uh, in his earliest letters, like 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians, he mentions things like tongues and prophecy. Uh, but by the time we get to the Ephesians, he's talking about the work of the apostles as like a foundation of our theology. 
And at the end of his life, when he wrote Titus and Second Timothy, he's not encouraging pastors to participate in those gifts anymore. He's telling them to stick to the established word of God. Second Timothy 3.16, that's the last letter he ever wrote. And that's where that famous verse about the word of God being sufficient and breathed out by God is. Um, so when exactly does the apostolic age end? Um, we don't know exactly. It's whenever the last apostle died. Uh, but we see in the New Testament, if we look at it chronologically, that the sign gifts were already being phased out by the time the apostles died. So uh, I think the best and safest date to point to is 70 AD. Uh, we know that Peter and Paul were already gone by this point. They were executed under Nero. Some believe that John lived into the 90s, but uh, there's no hard evidence of that. Uh, the Mormons actually believe he's still alive. He's not. Uh, since we can't know for sure when Revelation was written, uh, besides the fact that it was written sometime during John's lifetime, uh, I'd say it's highly unlikely anything in the New Testament was written after 70 AD. Uh, a lot of people like to say that Revelation was written in the 90s, but I, I really doubt it. Um, we'll never know one way or the other, but the fact that no book of the Bible mentions the temple being destroyed in AD 70 would indicate to me strongly that nothing was written past that date. Uh, that was a world-changing event and definitely would have been mentioned. Um, but, you know, again, we can't know for sure, but we know that everything was completed by the end of the first century, and we know that all the apostles were gone by that point. Hebrews 1 has probably the most poignant and beautifully spoken passage on this concept. Uh, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. There were various ways throughout redemptive history that God spoke his word. That's basically what it's saying by the patriarchs, the prophets, angels. Uh, but those were just blurry visions of what was coming. Jesus was going to be the last word from God, the focal point of history, uh, the entire point of everything God had been saying until then. So, if God were going to continue speaking to us today, what is he saying? What could he possibly be getting at? You know, he's already done and said the most important stuff. You know, when Jesus ascended before the Bible was finished, he elected apostles to carry the message throughout the world and they wrote the scripture. And then once the canon was completed and the apostles died, the word had spread throughout much of the world and there was a written document detailing the things that they were giving witness to. And once the apostles died out, there just wasn't a need for God to continue speaking new revelation. If you think it's still necessary, then I think you underestimate the importance and the power of God's written word. And I, I won't say that you don't believe in the word or whatever, or you don't believe in the sufficiency of it. I, I do think you're underestimating it, though. But this doesn't mean that God doesn't have a relationship with his people anymore. You know, the word of God is still living and active on the pages of scripture. You know, when you read the Bible, God is talking to you. <laughs> Think about that. Like the Bible tells us everything we need to know about our salvation and the redemptive history of God's people and living life in light of our calling. You know, Ephesians says to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And the entire Bible tells us how to do that. So, like, how do we know that we have the right content in our Bibles, though, you know? Uh, I'm no 
canon expert, but I can definitely recommend the work of Michael J. Kruger for that one. He's kind of the foremost author on that topic. There's a stigma that the church just arbitrarily chose random books to be included in the canon, but that's not really what happened at all. Uh, the books that were chosen were always viewed as the authoritative books, and the ones that weren't chosen were always kind of suspect in their origin. Uh, there were basically four qualifications that a, that a book in the Bible had to live up to before it was codified. Um, it, it had to be apostolic, which means it had to be written by an apostle, authenticated by an apostle, or written by a close associate of an apostle. So a lot of the New Testament books, for instance, uh, talk about the Old Testament books as scripture, so that qualifies them as canon. Uh, anything written by an apostle like Paul or Peter has the apostolic authority, but Luke and the author of Hebrews were definitely close associates of Paul, and Mark was a close associate of Peter and Paul both. So this also qualifies them. Uh, another qualification was its historical accuracy. You know, there were a, a couple of books that didn't make it into the canon. I think the Shepherd of Hermas was one that had a historical error in it, and that, you know, that was part of the reason it wasn't canonized. Uh, it also had to have theological consistency, you know. Some of the books weren't chosen because they didn't match the books that were known to be scripture, you know, books that had always been considered authoritative. And then lastly, they, they had to be books that had always kind of been considered authoritative texts, like the Gospel accounts and the letters of Paul. Uh, ones that were never really in question, you know. So when you look at it that way, there there was not quite as much debate and quite as much arbitrary action on the part of the people who chose the canon, as, as some people like to say. Um, the canon was finalized, I believe, in the 300s, but uh, all of the books were, were written and being utilized by the church by the end of the first century. Um, we actually have books quoting every New Testament book of the Bible by the first century. <laughs> uh, that was a long way of saying that the Bible is accurate, and it's God's word, and he's talking to you through the pages of scripture. You know, sometimes we wish that, uh, you know, he had a special new word for all of us, tailor-made for our specific situation, but would that really help you? <laughs> I think if you look at all the people who talk to God in the Bible, they still screwed up a lot think about this, you know, in the Bible, God is telling us exactly what to do in certain situations, and we still do the opposite. <laughs> so is that not as good as God speaking to you audibly? No, it's even better. It's tried and true. It's a tested document of his word to all of us that's endured for thousands of years. If you heard audible words, you should run that by your doctor. I, I can recommend Dottie. She's great. But uh, if, you, if you did hear audible words, like, how can you be sure that you remembered them or even heard them correctly in the first place? Like, how can you be sure you didn't make it up? I'm not really sure if I believe that Satan or the demons can speak directly to you or if they can put specific thoughts in your head. But hey, you know, in a world where God talks audibly to you, then maybe they can too. And supposing they do, how would you ever know which words are from God and which ones are from other sources? I'm not saying that would be impossible to discern, but it's it's definitely a question worth asking. You would be amazed at what people I know have claimed to hear from God. It always seems to be exactly what they want, you know? And sometimes it's actually the very opposite of what they want. Uh, but does that 
make any more sense than the other. Like, would God, would God tell you and force you into doing something that you had no thought or predilection to do before? Like, maybe he would. I'm not denying that. You can see that sort of thing in Jonah, for sure. Uh, but given that a lot of so-called words from God outside of Scripture can't be reconciled with each other, <laughs> it's actually a lot more likely that he forms and directs your life in a way where you do what he's called you to do. Uh, if you're meant to go to Haiti, he puts that desire in your heart and puts people with those connections around you. You know, There can be no doubt about God's word and the sufficiency of it. Uh, if you're still having trouble accepting this, <laughs> here's a point that I found convincing when I was in a similar thought space. You hear a word from the Lord. You know, you're you're up late one night organizing your baseball cards or cooking up some meth, and God tells you to stop doing that and become a cobbler. And now there are two possibilities when it comes to this so-called word from the Lord. Uh, it either contradicts scripture, in which case I would recommend not following it. I know that's a brave position to take, but I'm sticking to my guns. Uh, or it's, an, it's in alignment with scripture, in which case I would ask, well, what's the point? <laughs> if he's just going to tell you something that you could already discern from scripture, then I'm not sure it's necessary. So no matter the case, uh, many, many people throughout history have claimed to have heard a word from God. And most of the time, they end up starting a cult. <laughs> you can look at the life of Benny Hinn and assume that the words he got from God weren't really from God. And you can do the same thing with Joseph Smith. Uh, how would we ever verify the claims of people who supposedly hear from God? We test them with scripture. <laughs> Here on the death of death, we like to cut out the middleman and just go straight to scripture and not talk about audible words from God. It's like I said before. Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension are the focal point of all history. It's way more important than whether you should go left or right at the next turn. You know, why would God need to give us continual revelation when the most important word has been spoken? The work has been completed. The kingdom has arrived, and the Bible tells you everything you need to know about living in it. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Like, what more could be brought to the table after that? When Paul makes his statement about uh, Scripture in 2 Timothy 3.16, says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture has everything we need to be complete and equipped for every good work. That's what that's saying. But I won't deny that the Holy Spirit impresses things on our hearts. You know, by that I mean we may get a feeling that we should share the gospel with a particular person we come across, and the Spirit will lead us to do that specifically. But it's not as if this is some new thing that he's never done before, like we're called to share the gospel with everyone. You know how we know that? The Bible. Uh, but feelings are not the Word of God, you know? We can't have a feeling about something and conclude that God is telling us audibly to do that thing, you know? God might use our feelings if we feel, you know, bad for the people of Haiti and we want to go share the gospel there, then, you know, he may lead us to do so, but he's not leading you to cook up some meth just because you feel like you want to, you know? Why do I keep talking about meth? Dottie, jot that down for our next session. Should probably get to the bottom of that. This is why we have to know our Bibles. 
because God is going to use that knowledge later to inform our decisions. If we know from the Bible, the Proverbs specifically, uh, that's a good example, that uh, we shouldn't answer a fool according to his folly, then God has just told us exactly how to have a conversation with a fool. He's given us everything we need to know in the Bible. Um, you know, one time I was, I was told that believing these things limited the work of God um, by saying that the Holy Spirit will not lead you to speak in tongues. I was apparently limiting the work of God and the person I was speaking to believed that you could lose your salvation. And in my view, that severely limits the work of the Holy Spirit, but hey, bygones. Uh, cessationism doesn't limit the work of God. God has chosen to limit one type of work in favor of another. He has limited the work of tongues and prophecy in favor of a much, much better work, his scripture. In another sense, prophecy isn't limited by scripture. Prophecy is fulfilled by scripture. Healings aren't limited. You know, God still heals people. There just aren't people with the gifts of healing anymore. It would be akin to saying that the work of Christ limits the work in Israel. No, it, it fulfills the work in Israel. You know, just because national Israel isn't God's method of relating to the world anymore doesn't mean that his work is limited. His work in the sun is completely unlimited, much more widespread and effective than Israel, uh, much more widespread than tongues and prophecy ever were. It's worldwide now. So to wrap up the show... The doctrine of cessationism teaches that the sign gifts ceased at the end of the apostolic age in the first century. God still talks to his people through scripture, and he uses scripture on a far wider basis than he ever did the sign gifts. The Bible teaches us everything we need to know about kingdom living. Jesus was the last word from God and the apostles were his chosen messengers, and they carried that word throughout the world, and they either wrote or oversaw the writing of the Bible that we all now have. This doesn't limit God's work, because the, the work of Scripture is more widespread than any other tool God has ever used to relate to his people. All right, that's the show for this week. I hope you all enjoyed. I know I did. Before you go, I just want to tell you that there's a sale happening on the Death of Death web store. Um, 15% off t-shirts from now till the end of Friday the 12th. You're going to use a coupon code. Code is SQUIRREL with a capital S at uh, checkout to claim your 15% off. Pick up a sticker while you're at it. Uh, Patreon supporters, remember that you get a 20% discount on all merch. So message me on Patreon to claim a code for that as well. Uh, if you're not a Patreon supporter yet, but would like to claim some of those hot, hot discounts, head over to patreon.com slash death of death and sign up today. It's only $4 a month. That is less than the price of a good cup of coffee. Remember that every time you buy a cup of coffee, just remember the death of death. Uh, all right, everyone. Thanks for listening. I will talk to you again next week.